Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm your host, editor Maduni Christian. I'm joined again today by my friend and colleague, Edward Ned Russell. Today, we look at Europe's um, remarkable recovery and the, the possibility of a really good summer for European airlines. That is, depending on whether the COVID pandemic subsides. And that's something no one knows. We also talk about uh, our, an interview we did recently with uh, Qatar Airways Chief Commercial Officer Thierry Antonori about uh, how the airline positioned itself during the pandemic. And we look into uh, Frontier Airlines' planned IPO and how much it could raise. Thank you for joining us. You can always reach me at mu at skiff.com or ned at er, that's er for Edward Russell, at skiff.com. Check us out at airlineweekly.com and new issue drops every Monday and we update the site throughout the week at, on AW Daily. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi there, Edward Ned Russell. How are you? Good. How are you doing today, Madhu? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, so let's get started. I want to talk uh, a little. Let's talk a little bit about this week's feature story in Airline Weekly, which is an interview I did with um, Cutter Airways Chief Commercial Officer Thierry Antonori. It's an interesting discussion. I found. It was. It was. You had a good chat with him. You know the airline. Uh, like you, you covered a lot of interesting topics, uh, especially you know, one of the things that jumped out was just how Qatar is is adapting in a market that's really shifted to d- uh, domestic markets, and you know their business is almost all international. I mean, you tell us, yeah, tell us a little bit about what you what jumped out to you. Well, one one of the more interesting things that jumped out at me was that Qatar, until January, was blockaded by its immediate neighbors, um, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Egypt, Bahrain, and others completely cut off from sort of land, sea, air um, uh, travel and, 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 con- and um, connections with those countries. And um, that ended in January. And Antonori told me that, or Thierry told me that uh, they learned a lot of lessons from that blockade that really stood them in a good place for the pandemic. In other words, they learned how to adapt their fleet to, to serve, you know, to serve far-flung destinations with less traffic. Because one of the things that came out of the blockade is, you know, they lost a lot of their near international markets, right, in Saudi Arabia, very lucrative markets, Dubai, et cetera. Um, so they, they, they learned how, how to pivot quickly. And they also, you know, Qatar, because it was cut off from, from its immediate neighbors, the airline became the lifeline for the small state. Um, you know, it's a very small country. Um, and the airline became crucial in transporting things like perishables, food, um, uh, and other perishables, and, and and just cargo to the country, especially when seaways were were constrained. So, um, you know, that he said the, those lessons helped them pivot immediately when traffic kind of shut down in in um, last March. Nice, put them in good stead, huh? For the yeah. for the pandemic, <laughs> it did. It did. I mean, in, in as in as good place as anyone can be during a global pandemic. The other thing, you know, um, Cutter, as you know, Ned, and as our listeners know, has very few A three eighties, and and the very outspoken CEO Akbar Al Bakr <laughs> said, um, those those aircraft are leaving the fleet at least for a while. And Antonori told me that uh, yeah, they're they're gone for at least two years, possibly three. 
Um, instead, the airline is focusing on its smaller wide bodies, the A350 and the 787, which are both good, car- also happen to be really good cargo aircraft, which the A380 is not. That, that's interesting to me, a good interesting point. I don't wonder if you said more, just I, I never picture the A380 being a bad cargo aircraft. It's just so big. And you know, the 747 is a good cargo aircraft. Did he tell any more about why the A380 is a bad cargo aircraft? Well, he didn't, but I can I can help help us out a little bit. Um, first of we all, we know this, you love cargo, my dude. I love cargo. The 747, of course, you know, was designed with the with the cockpit on the second deck, so the nose swings open, allowing a lot of front loading. The A380 does not. The cockpit's mid level, so to load the, the that what is essentially the third deck, right? The second passenger deck. So the third deck counting cargo, passenger deck one, passenger deck two, is really difficult, especially in high wind conditions. Okay. So that's one strike against the A380. The second is it's a, it's a heavy aircraft. Um, you know, it just can't carry as much cargo as a 777F or, um, or you know, comparable aircraft. So um, the, the loading thing, though, I found really interesting because, of course, you know, when you think of it, you know, the, the 747 is an enormous aircraft, but it can carry cargo on both its decks, whereas the A380 can't okay. really get to that. That top deck is not accessible. That's interesting. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> so that's one reason. At least that was something that was told to me by <laughs> by uh, uh, an analyst in the aerospace industry. Um, so they're focusing on, Cutter is focusing on, you know, 787s and 350s, allow it to, according to Antonori, be, be really nimble and serve a lot of their destinations with higher frequency, even though traffic is really low. Whereas it's, he didn't name name names, but he said our immediate competitors, which are, of course, Emirates and Etihad, but mainly yes. Emirates, yes. Um, has a massive fleet of A380s that is not financially feasible for them to fly to all their destinations with the same frequencies as Cutter can because they're they're flying these A380s, you know, one tenth, one third, one half full, um, right. and so it, it's just it was sort of a money sink for them. So they, Emirates is, I assume he meant Emirates, but he said their nearest competitors have cut frequencies back significantly, whereas Cutter has been able to to as markets open up bring on more frequencies. And he, he actually pointed to the example of Dallas, which is going up to 10 weekly frequencies from seven. And as you wow. know, Ned, that's important because Qatar has a relationship, a partnership with um, an agreement with uh, American Airlines. So there's been a lot of feed from Americans, US destinations over Doha to, you know, around the world. Nice. It seems like that's also a trend we're seeing at, at multiple airlines where they're sort of focusing on their latest generation wide bodies, uh, you know, 787s, A350s, uh, for you know, also you know, newer 777s, newer A330s. You know, in, in Europe, you see, you know, I remember Air France said during the earnings call in the first quarter that basically all, all aircraft with four engines are, are gone now from, hmm. from their fleet because they're looking at that. So it seems like it's a broader trend and Qatar is just, you know, sort of there on the forefront with uh, with their focus. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he, he also mentioned that sustainability has become a really big um, uh, issue for Qatar as it is for a lot of airlines. And it's interesting. I mean, Ned, you and I have covered this industry for a long time. I can't remember a previous period when sustainability was so much at the fore of airline executives 
conversations. No, never. You know, it's it. Yeah, and all the earnings calls that that I've covered, and that's you know eight plus years. It's it's come up more often in the past just six months than it has in in the eight years. So yeah. it, it's it's interesting. It's I find it interesting. We've got Cutter focused on sustainability, and and you know, kudos to them for that. When they, they essentially fly for an oil state in the Gulf, but it's a petrostate. That's a different story, right? And that, that I found that also an interesting contradiction, right? I mean. One of the reasons Antonori said they're retiring the A380 fleet is it's just not a sustainable aircraft compared with the 350 and the 787. Uh, and it's kind of interesting to hear sort of the, an executive from an air, of an airline from a pet, Petro state. Petro state, that. you're right. It's natural <laughs> gas and cutter, I believe, is, yeah. is the bigger export. Yes. Exactly. Um, so, you know, uh, he was... Another really kind of just an interesting little anecdote, uh, Cutter, and then we'll move on, was um, he, he said that, you know, they're, they're see- the airline is seeking out mar- uh, markets where, where they can because they have no domestic market. And one market they ad- identified pretty early on was uh, mariners who, are, you know, need to, who, many of whom were stranded early in the pandemic as, as in ships far from their home countries. And, you know, it's a very international industry. Ships are crewed by by people from all over the world. Um, a lot of crews come from Southeast Asia and um, South Asia, and uh, they needed to get home. But as shipping picked up again, they needed to get to their ships. So Qatar identified that market and has been sort of transporting mariners around the world. And it's gone from being 2% of the airline's revenue to 30% wow. of the airline's revenue. Um, so that's, that was an interesting little anecdote. They even have the, the airline even recently opened in its base in Doha, a Mariner's Lounge. <laughs> so anyone who has a, a, you know, can prove that they work for a shipping line can hang out in the Mariner's Lounge. And Is there, a, uh, is there an official Mariner's, um, you know, membership card that they can? I don't know. He he, he did say, he did say card. I didn't probe him on that. So maybe, maybe there is a Mariner's card. If anyone knows, you can uh, write us at er skiff.com or mu at skiff.com. Please do. So moving on, Ned, let's talk a little bit about Europe. I mean, Europe is a really interesting, um, interesting place right now. It really is, Madhu. You know, there's been a lot of talk, with, especially among the low-cost carriers, about uh, you know taking advantage of opportunities on the continent. And we've talked about this before. You know, Ryanair, C, uh, rather, you know, vocal CEO uh, Michael O'Leary has said that they want to Another take as much share, CEO? <laughs> <laughs> yes, as much share as they they can through the crisis. And and you have other airlines looking for new markets. Well, this week we, you know, there's been some some webinars and Eurowing CEO talked and he presented uh, some some pretty big ambitions. The their Lufthansa's um budget carrier arm and they they want to go pan-European was what he hmm. said. And it strikes it really strikes me because 2 years ago in in 2019 Eurowings was really struggling with costs and they you know, growth had gone to zero for the year. You know, and now you have Eurowings talking about opening bases outside of the, their core German market and, and growing in Mallorca to the UK. And it's, you know, it's, it's good. To, it's interesting to see. But, you know, the question I have is how much can really happen? You know, if Ryanair wants to grow and Eurowings wants to grow, you know, there's only so much market that was, is going to be seeded by Norwegian with their with their cuts. Uh, so it's it's an interesting case. So is Eurowings planning to fly R- r- routes that don't touch Germany? 
Yes, absolutely. They've already announced it. I mean, the two that, that they use as an example are Mallorca to Birmingham and Mallorca to Manchester in the UK. Hmm. And, um, you know, the market's already, the both markets already serve, though uh, they have lost some, some competition. Uh, Thomas Cook, when they went bankrupt, mm-hmm. you know, they used to fly those routes, but that still was over a year ago. So, you know, it's, yeah, they're, they're targeting routes that don't touch Germany, basically. And, hmm. and he implied that there's more of that to come. Interesting. And um, now we discussed in a recent podcast how Lufthansa has is one of the few carriers that either of us could think of that has fortress hubs that it guards against its own subsidiaries. Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, I'll, I'll confess, like the proliferation of Lufthansa subsidiaries is just uh, I, I can't keep up sometimes. I mean, <laughs> the latest Lufthansa subsidiary brand is Eurowings Discover, which we'll which... get to in a second. Let's talk okay, about that. Okay. But, so right. is, is Eurowings not Eurowings Discover, but is Eurowings and part of this expansion? Is it planning? Will it be flying from Frankfurt and Munich? He did not met uh, Jens Bischoff, and I'm sorry if I've butchered the name. Uh, did not mention expansion out of Frankfurt or Munich specifically yesterday, but he did, uh, or previously Carsten Spohr did cite Eurowings flying from Frankfurt and Munich to holiday destinations in the Mediterranean as a possible uh, future opportunity for the group, especially when you know they, he, the example Carsten Spohr used was. If Eurowings is lower cost, it could make more sense to fly that in those markets than flying Lufthansa mainline. So I I think it's very much on the table, even though it wasn't an example this week. Interesting. And this is and, edit- oh sorry. Karen. Well, I was gonna I I, I want to segue into Eurowings Discover. Yes, which, let's talk about this. The latest yes. Lufthansa brand. Yes. Well, first of all, it is completely separate from Eurowings. Uh, Mr. Bischoff was clear to point out. Uh, it's operating under its own AOC, but speaking of Fortress Hubs, it will prime, it will fly only nonstop routes between Frankfurt and Munich and leisure destinations around the world. So it's, it's a new brand, and it's going straight into the heart of uh, of Mother Lufthansa, into their Fortress yeah. Hubs. So, so it's interesting. And it is reviving something that we all thought was uh, was a failed business model, which is low cost long haul. Exactly. Um, you know, it's, it's going to, it's, yeah, I, you, I would have always thought, well, we all thought long haul, low cost was gone, but you know, the question I have, I think is where Eurowings discover flies. Are they going to be replacing a Lufthansa mainline flight? Are they going to be adding new routes? You know, if it's replacing a flight, I really question whether this is, you know, the disruptor of long haul, low cost that Norwegian air was for the past decade. You know, there's something we'll, we shall see. And we're back. So, Ned, let's, you know, we, we just talked about Lufthansa a bunch and Eurowings. Let's go a few hundred miles farther north. And, and um, oh. <laughs> Bjorn Kios, the um, founder of, or the former CEO of Norwegian Air Shuttle, who left last year as the carrier retrenched and was hit by the pandemic, is teaming up with a whole bunch of other Bjorns to start. <laughs> <laughs> it's a veritable ABBA reunion, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> uh, where's Agneta? Um, but yeah, a whole bunch of other Bjorns to, uh, I'm being facetious, but a Bjorn, um, another former Norwegian executive and a, the CEO of an aviation staffing company that uh, that provided crews for Norwegian Air Shuttle. They're teaming up to create Nor- Norsk 
Atlantic Atlantic North Atlantic Aviation. Yeah, North Atlantic Aviation. Yes. Yeah. Or Airways. And uh, I mean, we were just speaking about Eurowings Discover, which is Lufthansa's new brand that's planning to fly low-cost long-haul. Now we have the new airline that is expected to snap up a bunch of 787s that Norwegian might offload and fly low-cost long-haul around the world. But then we have, on the other hand, we have Scott Kirby, the CEO of United, who just last week at a at a conference said uh, the, these airline business models were failing. Bef- that low-cost long-haul airline business model was failing even before the pandemic. And now is just, it seems untenable. So, so what's going on here? Why is Lufthansa getting in on the game? And why are these Bjorns starting this... Uh, this airline when Norwegian itself had to retrench to just short haul? You know, that, I mean, that's a really good question for on the Norwegian front. You know, I think it's a, it's a famous quote and I forget which investor said it, you know, airlines are great at capital destruction you know, over <laughs> yeah. the years, but yet people love to sh- love to invest in them. You know, me, if I, I don't know who their investors are, but it seems if they have people that are willing to put up money, you know, like in any sector, they're going to take take a stab at it. Though it will be interesting to see how they get off the ground in the current environment. Yeah. Uh, with Bjorn Kjos as CEO, I think that gives him a, a better chance because he is a seasoned airline executive. Uh, whether the model needs to be restarted or not, um, but on Lufthansa's side, I really think it matters about what routes they fly. I mean, mm-hmm. I I see it as an opportunity for them to shift mainline leisure oriented routes to a lower cost format and potentially become more more profitable. But then if we see them going into new markets with it, it's a completely different story. You know, they I remember they used to have Lufthansa had a it was essentially branded Lufthansa but flown by City Line A340s going to uh Tampa, some uh, Panama City, some other leisure points. You know, if they put those under Eurowings discovered it discover it's really not new markets, it's just transferring what are already, you know, sort of leisure oriented routes. But I don't know. We shall see. <laughs> we shall see. Um, the other sort of thing that's coming out of Europe, and it's a story that's being told all around the world, is that uh, countries with large domestic markets, and we, if we sort of think of the EU, the 20, is it 26 now? Now that Britain has left? Or is it 27? Anyway. No idea, you. No idea. <laughs> the, the block of the EU is sort of in one single aviation market. Um, that's. I think it's good. a fair, fair assessment. It's, right. Yeah. But if we look a few hundred miles to the east of the EU, um, uh, the Aeroflot Group, Russia's largest carrier, put out its traffic, um, its February traffic numbers this week. And they're kind of startling. Um, uh, (laughs) I I actually had to double check all these numbers because I was really shocked by them. But uh, Aeroflot itself, the mainline carrier, it's, uh, it's international traffic was down 84%, which is no surprise year over year. Domestic traffic was down 36%. But it's two sort of low-cost domestic arms, Pobeda and Rosia. And forgive me for my pronunciation. Uh, Pobeda, its traffic was up 16... Domestic traffic was up 16% year over year. Oh. Yeah. Um, The domestic capacity was up 19%. Whereas its international routes were down 72%. Now, in Rocio's case, um, domestic RPKs were up 19% and domestic ASKs were up a little over 8%. Um, so, you know, this is, this, is yet that's, this is yet more proof of that story we've been talking about for several months now is that, you know, Russia is vast. There's no real 
I mean, there are trains, but there's no real way to get between the, say, Vladivostok and Moscow, right? I mean, <laughs> no. no, it's 14 time zones, I think, away. So, um, so like, you know, the, the, the people are not traveling abroad. They're taking vacations at home or they're going to go see grandma or what, whatever. And this is really redounded to the benefit of, of airlines that have large domestic markets. Um, so, I mean, this this is more stark than I've seen it anywhere else in the world. I mean, the success story is pretty remarkable, and we'll see when the financials come out in the um, uh, sort of uh, when when we get the financials. But um, it, it's just it's the story. You know, there's there's two stories that seem to emerge from this pandemic, Ned, that you and I have talked about. One is that domestic markets are are um, are sort of a gold mine if you have them use them yes the other is that cargo cargo is uh, a way to make money <laughs> no absolutely uh that's impressive with those those aeroflot subsidiary uh of, you know traffic numbers for 2020 and i'm very curious about about the profitability uh but yeah we see that again and again in europe in russia in china the mm-hmm. u.s i mean these domestic markets are coming back strongly you got brazil as well uh it's yeah it's really really been a lifeline for you know uh, carriers that have that for the recovery, at least. Yeah. Right. And speaking of domestic markets, you wrote a story today. Um, there are yes. a lot of investors who are bullish about the domestic market. Take it away, Ned. <laughs> yes. Uh, Frontier Airlines uh, wants to be the second airline IPO of the year in the US. Uh, for those unfamiliar, they are an ultra low cost carrier based in Denver. They fly just over 100 aircraft. And, uh, you know, they, yeah, they pretty much fly everywhere in the U.S., uh, very point-to-point uh, model. But so they are hoping to, well, their IPO could raise over $700 million based on the initial expectations. Now, caveat, half of those shares are owned by existing investors, so Frontier would only net about half of those proceeds, so $350 million, give or take. But... Considering the the interest we saw in Sun Country earlier this month was shot up fifty percent in the first day of trading, I mean it's not unreasonable to think that Front Frontier is going to achieve, you know, their their raise as much money as they hoped, if not more. And why why is that? I mean, there why are investors so bullish on um, on airlines? I mean, that's a really good question. I think there's there's we've got this this disconnect between the between the capital markets. Um, and between the capital markets, no, sorry, it's the equity markets, uh, right. excuse me, um, and the, the greater economy. But at the same time, with, with the latest stimulus bill, $1.9 trillion going out and, and people getting checks, at the same time, bookings are looking up. A lot of investors are expecting summer to be a strong leisure travel period, especially in the U.S. And the same goes in Europe and these domestic markets. And Frontier, you know, 95 plus percent of their business are leisure travelers. So yeah. they stand to benefit a lot from, from those numbers. I checked in their March capacity. It was actually on par with March 2019. Really? You know, yeah. Uh, now they're down 3% in June, but considering the schedules are updated up to a month out, I, I fully expect June to be at or above 2019 once we get there, especially if we see the bump in, in travel that you know, you know people are saying are there. Yeah. Is well, there. I mean, the the... I, latest TSA numbers show that um, I believe it's there have been more than one million passengers screened at the country at the U.S. at U.S. airports every day for eleven days, which is the first time that's happened since the pandemic started. Um, yeah. 
And I think yesterday's numbers or Monday's numbers, well, yesterday, <laughs> yesterday's numbers might have been, uh, you know, close to 70% of what, uh, of, of the year before. So um, now we should note that when Madhu says yesterday's numbers, those are compared to 2020, which were already falling at this point in 2020. So that's, that's yes. a good point. Yes. That's yeah. a very good point to remember. Um, but, uh, you know, the, there is there are certain you know red red flags right for all this bullishness and we're seeing it in Europe now there's a, Europe is having its facing its third wave right. of the disease so right. we don't know like how what the summer what summer demand will look like in Europe if this if more lockdowns are imposed right and that was something that was uh, missing from uh, Eurowing CEO's comments yesterday. He did not mention this third wave in Europe and how that could impact their their hopes for this pan-European expansion. Um, yeah. I mean, early signs are it's looking bad. I believe France is going back into lockdown. Um, Italy may. Um, so we don't know how it's going to go. And here in the U.S., um, the, you know, vaccinations are picking up. For sure. But there's also if you listen to the infectious disease specialists on TV or in the media, there is the potential for another wave, um, especially as states around the country loosen their restrictions. So, you know, the summer is looking good now, but we we don't know what what the the trajectory of disease disease will be. Excuse me. No, and I think that fits. Is throughout this crisis, the, the word I've repeatedly heard from airline executives is uncertainty. Yeah, and I think that exists. Uh, this this disease and demand has gone up and down throughout the past year, uh, unexpectedly. You know, I remember writing in early June last year about how summer was looking positive, and then the U.S. had the second wave, and right. summer was still good, but not as good as people thought at the beginning mm-hmm. of June. So we're standing here, and and you. It's good to see the airline looking or the industry looking up, but there's a big asterisk there. Yeah. Anything can happen. It's still March. Anything can happen between now and, and summer. So, you know, it's yeah. Sit back and, and enjoy the ride. <laughs> Absolutely. And on that note, Ned, I want to thank you for joining us again for another week. I know it's your job, but thank thanks for joining us. <laughs> Absolutely happy to be here, Madhu. And let's get those headphones checked, okay? <laughs> um, yes. And I'm not addressing that. But this is uh this is uh, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge. If you have any comments or, or feedback on any of this, you can reach Ned at ER, that's ER for Edward Russell at skiff.com. You can reach me at MU, that's Madhuni Krishnan, MU at skiff.com. Check us out at airlineweekly.com. A new issue drops every Monday, and we update the site throughout the week at AW Daily. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Madhu. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. Of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.